It's Wednesday, March 2nd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio today, the one and only Morgan Housel. Thanks for being here. How you doing? I'm doing okay. It is actually the second time we've been That's in the studio. True. Um, That's true. We've been doing Market Foolery for more than five years. Uh, it is very rare that we do any kind of editing. Bill Barker references the other day uh, uh, an episode we did back in December that required about 90 seconds worth of editing because of the shootings in San Bernardino. Um, today, however, we are doing something that we have never done in the more than five years that we've done this podcast, and that is we're retaping the entire episode. Uh, earlier today, we taped at the usual time, which is around 11.30 in the morning, and our lead story was about Aubrey McClendon. And longtime listeners know we've had fun with Aubrey McClendon over the years. This is the former CEO for uh, from Chesapeake Energy, uh, known for his business success, but also known for his personal excess, uh, most famously owning a collection of antique maps that he sold back to the Chesapeake Energy, again, personal collection that he sold to Chesapeake Energy for around $12 million so that he could cover a margin call. Uh, needless to say, shareholders not that happy with that move. And earlier today, when we were taping, we talked about the fact that on Tuesday, McClendon was indicted. The U.S. Justice Department charged him with conspiring to rig bids to buy oil and natural gas leases in Oklahoma. And starting when this news broke late on Tuesday, email started pouring into me, tweets from longtime listeners um, saying, I know you're going to talk about this on Wednesday. Um, uh, and we did talk about it. And that conversation is now irrelevant in the wake of the news that broke just moments before we came in the studio now, uh, that Aubrey McClendon has died in a car accident. Um, This is, uh, needless to say, Morgan, a bizarre and unexpected turn of events. You and I were in a meeting about something completely different, and I think one of us looked at our Twitter account and went, what? Um, Yeah. I I had gotten a, a, a message on Slack from our, uh, which is our internal communications tool, um, from Ron Gross, uh, informing me of this, and yeah, I I I didn't say what so much as I said an expletive that won't be repeated yeah. here. <laughs> said uh, this meeting is now over for me. Yeah. Um, you know, w- when we had taped earlier today, one of the things I had said was. Uh, you know, McClendon came out in the face of this indictment and was very defiant. And one of the things I had said when we taped was, "I'm sure he's going to fight this." Yeah. And uh, you know, this is a this is a one car accident. I'll just read. This is a local news outlet in Oklahoma City. Um, firefighters were called to a car wreck uh, early Wednesday morning. Uh, one person died at the scene when the vehicle hit a bridge in the area. Um, the captain uh, from the Oklahoma City Police Department said that uh, McClendon was traveling at a high rate of speed, well over the posted speed limit. And he, uh, and this is the quote, he pretty much drove straight into the wall. Uh, One of the other witnesses, I believe, said that he veered off the road and clearly had plenty of time to veer back on, but yeah. did not do so. And uh, you know, it'll be it'll be a while before we know all of the details around this. Um, like I said, I I thought, well, he's you know he's got deep pockets. He's going to lawyer up and he's going to fight this. 
Um, maybe this was an accident. Maybe he just didn't have the fight in him. I don't. I don't know. But um, this is uh, certainly a a sad end. Of course, yeah. I mean, I think the uh, the uh, the parallel, if there is one to this, is Ken Lay, the former CEO of Enron, who died of a heart attack, I believe, either days or weeks after being convicted of, of fraud. You know, I think I think that's the uh, the only parallel to a a, a a more tragic end than you can imagine a, a business leader being, and you know, a, a respected business leader who had a, a, a glorious career otherwise. To be indicted or charged or convicted of fraud, and you think, well, that's the end, and then and then something like this happens. It's yeah, and uh, long-time listeners of the podcast know I really enjoyed Aubrey McClendon. Yeah, um, he he, uh, he was certain, certainly successful, uh, pushed the boundaries. Uh, definitely not a friend of shareholders. Yeah, it was not a shareholder-friendly CEO. By the same token, uh, you know, married man, three children, um, donated tens of millions of dollars yeah. to Duke University, to the University of Oklahoma. Um, uh, so, um, aloha, Aubrey, uh, and of course, best to uh, to his family and friends. Um, uh, for as bizarre as this is for us, uh, this is um, more than bizarre for them. It is. It is just downright tragic. Uh, marketfoolery at fool.com is our email address from Rafael Garrido Rivas in Massachusetts, uh, who writes, You always talk about diversification across your stocks. I'm 43 years old. I'm starting to think about buying some boring bonds. What do you think is a good mix of bonds and stocks? How would you rebalance them in your portfolio? He's, he's not kidding. Bonds are boring. Yeah, well, some of them are boring. Some of them can get pretty exciting. That was the whole financial crisis in two thousand eight was the the unveiling of very exciting bonds, so to speak. Yeah. But those are generally the bonds that you want to stay away from. I think there are some rules of thumb about bonds. The the balance between bonds and stocks you should own. One of them was take one hundred minus your age, and that's the percentage of your net worth that should be in stocks. Rules of thumb are generally pretty good. I think they oversimplify things. The big thing with bonds today, that when we're talking about comparing them to history or you know rules of thumb, is that for most of history, bonds returned a decent return, five six percent, maybe you know a decent return above the rate of inflation, and that's no longer the case. Where the yields on high quality bonds that you might want to own rounds to zero percent, you're not going to get anything out of it. And then so I think the mindset behind bonds has to shift from an asset that you got a return from. To today, it's just an asset that the best case scenario, it's something that's going to preserve your wealth, but nothing more. And if that, it might not even preserve your your wealth after inflation. Uh, and and so really, what it does, it's not something that you should look at as an investment that's going to give you a return, but something that you can use to stabilize and balance out your portfolio. Something that if you have a lower portion of your investments in stocks and more in cash and bonds. It's just going to help dampen the volatility over time. And we were talking earlier, there's another substitute to bonds that some investors might want to think about, and that's an online high-yield FDIC-insured savings account. They have them at Capital One and American Express Bank. Some of these accounts, you can get a 1% yield on your money, FDIC-insured up to certain amounts. And that is definitely competitive with the rate that you might find on a lot of bonds out there, a lot of safe bonds out there. Uh, And they basically function like a checking account. You can have your money back whenever you need it. Uh, They're very convenient. There's effectively no fees on it. 
that's something that I think more investors should pay more attention to. That's where I have my quote unquote bonds, money that I would consider, like this is the fixed income part of my portfolio. That's where I keep it. I think what's really dangerous that investors should definitely stay away from is it's so tempting with interest rates low to try to go out and find the highest yield bonds they can find. And you can find bonds that yield 10, 15, sometimes 20%. And people look at that and they get tempted, like, oh, here's, here's a high yield. There's a reason bonds yield that much. And that's because the odds that you will get your principal back are, are diminishingly small. So that's what you really want to stay away from is saying interest rates are low and therefore I'm going to go out and try to find high yield bonds. You will almost certainly regret that decision. Yeah, I th- the more I think about bonds, the more I think it really is about your own tolerance. It's about your own stomach. Yeah. Because I, I mean, I remember when I was in my 20s meeting with a financial advisor and uh, that exact, you know, rule of thumb, it's like, well, take your age and so, you know, you're 25, so you should be, you know, 75% in stocks, yeah. 25% in bonds and the, you know, the older you get and that sort of thing. But I think that partic- everybody's different. So well, everybody's different, but also particularly as you, you know, it, it is it is a little bit of a cliche, but like a lot of cliches it's true. Uh, sometimes the biggest risk is not taking enough risk. And Absolutely. certainly as people live longer, then it's like, well, if you, you know, if you're loaded up on bonds, I'm not saying that's the case with Raphael, but if, you know, if you if you're loading up on bonds in your 40s, yeah, and then you retire at 65 or something like that, then you know, you, you know. But there are some people out there who have such a low risk tolerance that even in their 20s, 30s, 40s, should have a high percentage of their net worth in bonds or cash, because if they had more in stocks, they're going to panic when stocks are falling. And be tempted to sell out at the bottom, and that is a heck of a lot more costly than earning a low yield on bonds. Before we wrap up, um, I mentioned this last week. Uh, we a few weeks ago we were in San Diego for our all-day investing event with our Motley Fool One members, uh, and for the first time we've got uh, a video pass to the event, a digital pass. You can go to digitalpass.fool.com. There's like a three-minute highlight reel. Uh, from the event, um, and and it really is just a, a few minutes of the roughly twelve hours of breakout sessions. Uh, you gave a keynote address, which was, um, you know, I, I I disagree with a lot of people. I thought it was good. Well, so. you disagree with me in general a lot, <laughs> but but thank uh, you. Um, so a few keynote uh, speeches, but also breakout sessions on uh, stock ideas, uh, how to manage your portfolio. Which is a question we get all the time: uh, managing your taxes, that kind of thing. So check it out: digitalpass.fool.com. Great highlight reel uh, that does not include you completely dissing me on the stage. As but you, that, but that was one of one of the good parts. You and I did a did a a panel. You were hosting a panel, and you asked me a great question. Uh, and my response was, "Chris, that's a good question, but I'm not going to answer it because I want to talk about something else." And I, you know, I felt a little bad about it. Uh, not but, so bad that you didn't just plow ahead, though. So. No, I did. I did just go ahead. Um, uh, um, I, I meant to mention this on uh, on Monday, but uh, just to wrap up the Academy Awards, which was Sunday night. Uh, very happy to see The Big Short win the Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay. Uh, so kudos to Adam McKay for that. Um, kudos also to Steve May, the Chief Technology Officer at Pixar, and his entire team because Inside Out brought home the gold for. Best animated feature and uh, spotlight, my friend Tom. Oh, 
wonderful surprise. I really thought it was going to be the Revenant, and so I literally jumped out of my seat and and you know was yelling when I saw that Spotlight won Best Picture. You don't go to movies, so you, there's, I don't. I don't do these yeah, moving so, pictures. So maybe in like five years, you might see Spotlight. Maybe, maybe. You know what? You should check it out because it deals with journalism, which goes into our next point. Because um, the Gerald Loeb Awards, which are to business and financial journalism, what the Academy Awards is to the movie industry. Those are coming up later this spring. You were a finalist in 2013. Yeah. We actually had two finalists, you and Alan Moskovitz. That's right. Of the five finalists in the commentary category, yeah. we, we had 40%. And I maintain that the reason neither of you won is that the vote was split. Yeah. People were like, I, I like, I don't know if that's the case. I like those fools, but I'm going to, you know, and so yeah. it's, it split the vote. But, um, but now you're a judge. They asked you to be a judge. I know. Can you believe it? Wow! Yeah, it's pretty cool. I've never been a judge for any for any awards, really, but uh, I'll, I'll be a judge for the Gerald Loeb Awards this year, judging uh, videos and and graphics that are interactive and what. what is their most so they these are awards for business and financial journalism. There's a bunch of different categories: yeah. commentary, uh, investigative journalism, yep. broadcast journalism. This is, I think, the newest award just in the last year or two. Sort of digital media and, and images. Yeah, so it's every, it's everything from images to infographics to really in depth. I was looking at some of them up, upstairs. I just started the judging process now. Uh, these really interactive stories where you know it's in the form of an article, but. As you're reading down, there are embedded videos that go into all these different interviews. It's amazing the technology that that we're putting into journalism these days. It's really it's really inspiring. So I'm looking forward to judging them. So, but so logistical question here: these are awards that you can look at online. Um, why are they flying out you out to Los Angeles, California? Well, it's warmer in Los Angeles. <laughs> I suspect that's a reason. Going to be doing no, this outside. Is, so the so the judges do some uh, some some early judging on, on their own, sort of sorting it out, and then we go to UCLA in a couple of weeks and we will deliberate with uh, other judges and select the winners. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.